0: Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet. All hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American G. Keith Alexander.
1: Well, thank you so very, very much. I am so happy to be here today on this beautiful, beautiful day. The last day of July. I believe it's the last day of July. uh, July 30th. And uh, I want you to know that wherever you are, welcome to What's Hot, Harlem, America with G. Keith Alexander. I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem, America. Today in the What's Hot spotlight is America's psychologist, Dr. Jeff Gardere. Now, Dr. Jeff is one of the most widely sought after experts in the field of mental health. In addition to having a private practice in Harlem, he is an associate professor and course director of behavioral medicine at Touro College of Osteopathic Medicine right here in Harlem as well. And Dr. Jeff was most recently the relationship expert on Love & Hip Hop Atlanta, Love & Hip Hop New York, The Real Housewives of Atlanta, and The Real Housewives of Potomac. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure To say that my special guest, Dr. Jeff Gardier, my friend, is what's hot. Hello there, Dr. Jeff.
2: Gee, Keith, I haven't been called hot in about 25 years, so it's great to be hot again uh, on your great show and so wonderful to be working with you and to see you. And people don't know that uh, you and I are colleagues uh, in many, many different venues. So, you know, once again, it's good to be home with you.
1: Well, that's so very kind of you to say you are uh, a very wonderful and special guy. And uh, I I am very uh, grateful to you for for many reasons, one of which is because of you, I became an adjunct uh, faculty instructor over at Turo College of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm the Director of Professional Communications, and I thank you for that because it's wonderful working not only with the faculty, but also uh, being around the students uh, and also being able to uh, make a contribution uh, to the community. So yeah,
2: absolutely. And you do all those things. And we should also point out that you and I actually spent a lot of time together uh, when you were my uh, voice coach, a uh, voiceover <laughs> coach, uh, and we had a just a wonderful time. Uh, I think I was your third uh, favorite uh, student. The first two we won't uh, reveal, um, but uh, there, there was that. Do you remember that one student and and we can mention her name? She was just absolutely fabulous. If you remember her now, I can't quite remember her name. She was also an actress, a singer. Uh, I believe she used to do gigs uh, in the village singing and so on.
1: Oh, um um Oh gee, uh, it'll come so, back to you. Yes, it, it'll come to me. But yes, she, she was also one of my favorites. Yes, yeah, but, she was amazing. Yeah, we we had for the folks who don't know what the heck we we're talking about. Uh, for many years, uh, I taught voiceover uh, acting, and uh, having been a voiceover performer myself for decades. I thought perhaps I'd start VoiceOver Academy and I would have my my voiceover classes and we we would have these scripts and we'd act out various characters and go through various commercials. And uh, it was always fun to have Dr. Jeff uh, step outside of the box and uh, and, and become other characters and very, very nice, Dr. Jeff. Well, I'm glad I got to
2: break out of the box. Don't get me started. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, hey, I tell you what, why don't we uh, take the um, Wayback Machine? Okay. And, and, and let's, go, let's go back to uh, the beginning for Dr. Jeff. Before it was Dr. Jeff Gardier. Where did you grow up and how? Well, my parents are from Haiti. You know, they passed
2: away many, many years ago, Uh, but I'm a first-generation American um, and uh, grew up in Brooklyn, born in Manhattan, grew up in Brooklyn, uh, spent most of my life there, uh, ended up uh, going to Brooklyn Tech High School, then University of Rochester, and then I landed in a very interesting place, G. Keith. Washington, D.C., where I went to graduate school to do my uh, Ph.D. And man, I was in love with that town. It was civilized. Uh, There were building restrictions with regard to how tall they could be. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the chocolate city uh, that there were so many people of color did so well. uh, Entrepreneurship, working for the federal government. Uh, Everyone got along very, very well. It's not the way that um, in some ways we see the politics have taken over uh, many parts of our country. Uh, People got along well. It was just an incredible, incredible place to be. And the people were friendly. I really loved it there. Uh, And it was very difficult for me to come back to New York uh, after uh, finishing graduate school. But that old saying that um, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I took on that challenge. Uh, there was an individual by the name of uh, G. Keith Alexander uh, over at WBLS doing his thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm coming back to New York.
1: <laughs> See, that's why I love you, Dr. Jeff. That, that's why I love you. Well, wow. so, all right. So then you, you, you got back to New York and um, how did things start developing for you uh, here in New York at that time. You you must have been what, about 30 years old or so, maybe? Well, uh,
2: I was around, uh, how old was I? I guess I was around 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had just minted my uh, uh, PhD uh, in clinical psychology. And uh, I came to work for an organization called the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Now, really? this was it. This was interesting, G. Keith. If you work for the Federal Bureau of Prisons, um, no matter what your position, if you're a, a, a corrections officer or correctional officer, if you're a warden, if you're a teacher or if you're a psychologist, you have to go through law enforcement training in Glencoe, Georgia. And so <laughs> here, I was learning how to shoot guns, uh, learning jujitsu, um, you know, learning uh, sword uh, techniques and how to use batons and all this crazy stuff. Um, and I was the biggest geek you know, on the planet. We talked about Mr. Peabody offline. I was this Mr. Peabody, but I was learning all of this law enforcement and fighting techniques and so on just to work for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And it was really a very memorable kind of experience. I was the first black Uh, chief psychologist for the Federal Bureau of Prisons, worked Mm -hmm. right uh, in New York City at the Metropolitan Correctional Center. Mm -hmm. Uh, At that time, uh, we had the Gambino family in there. Uh, We had, you know, a lot of the super mobsters, uh, you know, the godfathers and so on. Mm -hmm. So I would meet these individuals. uh, You know, many of them are dead now. And um, uh, it, it just was a fascinating experience. Uh, There was a uh, prison takeover uh, down south. I was sent to go. And uh, on the spot, I learned hostage negotiations. Um, Really, my life was on the line, as well as that of all the other officers, you know, going into walking into tear gas and all these different things that we had to learn uh, how to do and maneuver around. Um, So that was a very, very, you know, I learned a lot of things. Uh, but it wasn't just about psychology. It was about, you know, the prison system and how even though the Federal Bureau of Prisons was um, considered to be very civilized. But the fact was that many of the prisoners, especially down south, were people of color and, you know, the the dynamics of um, you know, the prison, you know, the 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 uh, school to prison uh, pipeline, uh, especially in D.C. with the Youth Act and so on, how very young people were going to jail in droves, young black males and, you know, then connecting with them and seeing a lot about their lives. I didn't grow up that way, but to mm. see the poverty, to see, you know, how racism destroyed these individuals and then to help them build back up, it, it really was a, a very, very special time
1: you know I, I never knew any of this about you uh, you know it, it's amazing now for me to sit here and look at you and 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 then process all of what you've just said about uh, learning how to be uh, a, uh,
2: a corrections officer yes, yes you know uh, yes incredible yes.
1: so all right so now you're you're in your 30s uh, how did you get this moniker? Of uh, becoming America's psychologist, Mm, that was
2: that was was a a long, long way off. Um, I guess what happened was, you know, after I wrapped it up with the Federal Bureau of Prisons, I went to work for Kings County Hospital, you know, in Brooklyn, and was a a, a, had a good uh, position there. Came back to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and then went back out again. Uh, to work for different organizations and finally opened up um, a very interesting, uh, it was a very interesting, I've got to tell you this story. So I'm sitting in my office, I have a private practice, someone comes through the door, this is in downtown Brooklyn, Fort Greene, before it was cool to be in Fort Greene. Mm-hmm. And um, lovely, lovely person walks in and states, uh, you know, I'm working with uh this uh, foster care agency, St. Christopher Otley, uh, that's located down the street. Would you be willing to see one of the children in therapy? I said, sure, absolutely. As God is my witness, it went from one child within the next week to 10, within the week after to 20, within the week after that to 30. By the end of the year, we had maybe three, 400 children because then I just opened it up to all of the other foster care agencies. So here I am minding my own business, <laughs> very small private practice, seeing maybe 10 people a week. And then I had to go out and hire close to 40 therapists and opened up all these locations. And, really? And it was, man, it was happening. It was happening and we were doing really good, relevant Cultural sensitivity, cultural competent work, um, and you know, ended up moving to Yonkers. You know, I, I'll, I'll tell the story. Ended up moving to Yonkers. I had a, I had a, a, a four or five Mercedes Benz Jaguars. I mean, I was, I was rolling in the dough, and just like that, just like that. Within six months, the you know, everything caved in. Uh, new laws were passed in New York as to phasing out a lot of the smaller foster care agencies uh, where I was getting a lot of my uh, clients and doing mm-hmm. really good work. and then you know, they started consolidating, I don't know if you remember this, Administration for Children's Services. And so the money dried up, mm-hmm. sold everything, gave away the cars, Wow! You know, just, you know, everything. So I went from riches to rags, sort of. But, you know, I mean, and, uh, you know, I like to say, you know, I wasn't broke. I was, you know, kind of white folks broke. You know, I didn't have a lot of cash, but I had properties and, you know, certain things that sustained me. But it was such an experience and it was so much fun. And the moral of the story is things fall in our laps while Mm -hmm. we're young. Mm -hmm. But if you don't maintain them, if you're not thinking in a business sort of way, if you're not diversifying, if you don't know what you're doing, if you're not getting an MBA, all of it can be gone. And that's basically what happened. You know, the fact is I didn't diversify and so gave it all up. Walked away from it. It was. It was, and said goodbye to it, and then went back to being a regular guy. Uh, and it was <laughs> the greatest. It was the greatest experience in my life to go from being very wealthy to being extremely not wealthy. So I really, it was. It was an amazing experience, but it reset me for a work ethic. And finding different ways and learning about survival, which is what I've done for all of these years, constantly reinventing myself and having had at least 10, 12 different careers.
1: What an amazing story! I mean, cheese and crackers, you know, that is quite a lifestyle going from. Living high on the hog, as we would say, yeah. uh, uh, down to uh, riding the hog. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even afford a car at that point.
2: Well, Giddy well, up, hoggy.
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, I've had our good friend Rolanda Watts on the show several I times. I love me some rope. And, and she talks about reinventing one's self. Oh, my and, God.
2: She's done that like an aces.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. But now when I talk to her and tell her what uh, I just learned about you, she's going to be amazed. She might want to get you on her reinventionist show.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's amazing. I I just love her. Both you and I have known her for, for many, many, many years. She's just an amazing individual.
1: Without a doubt. So. All right. So now we've got. Uh, well, all right. So now you, you go from. From, from from that lifestyle to uh, to like you say riding the hog, but then you still become America's psychologist. You're still revered, and you're constantly on CNN and and uh, MSNBC and. Well, H- the, the the story behind that. Um, do you remember a
2: fellow by the name of Richard Bay? I remember the name. He had a show called People Are Talking that was out of New York. And it was this talk show. I think that was, uh, you know, that came before some of the really outrageous, you know, talk shows. And, you know, the the hook on this show is he'd have these uh, really kind of crazy guests, you know, with these really crazy stories. And every time you would sit down, he'd do like farting noises (laughs) <laughs> you know, and uh, so on. So I went on his show. I filled in for uh, Dr. Craig Polite. He had a uh-huh. show. And you remember Craig Polite? Yes. He had a show from the Apollo called The Third Eye. Yes. And he said, OK, man, fill in for me. I filled in on that show. We had such a great time. The phone never stopped ringing. And I got on like from that point on. You know, it was the media then sustained me because even though all of the material stuff was gone, the money was gone. The fact was I was still relevant and still getting a million calls a week to do TV. And so that just (laughs) built everything back up again. So it's been a heck of a ride. And that's that's where I started on on
1: television. Okay, well, now uh, we're we're getting ready to go to a break, but we'll be back with more very interesting stories from Dr. Jeff Gardier. (laughs) I want to remind you, though, to make sure you go to HarlemAmerica.com to find out what's happening Uh, next week. Harlem Week begins August 6th through the 15th, and you'll find all of the information about Harlem Week on our website at harlemamerica.com. So go there, and uh, we'll be right back with more of my friend's uh, life and lifestyle, Dr. Jeff Gardier, on What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander.
3: Harlem, Harlem, America. Is it, Harlem. Harlem, is my Tech Where Chase is advancing Black Pathways.
0: Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not. Not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing G. Keith Alexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today.
3: Harlem America, where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar you're listening to harlem america talking to the world from the heart and soul of new york
0: you're listening to what's hot harlem america with g keith alexander to reach our show live today, call in to 472 That's one 472 5788 Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at parlamamerica.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Okay, that's Kevra Bernay. Thank you so very, very much, Kevr. She's a wonderful voiceover artist as well. Uh, now, hey, uh, Jeff. Uh, before we get into the real serious uh, issues of mental health in our mm. communities and some of the things that are going on, uh, we'll we'll talk about that uh, in the next segment. However, I I, I do want to touch on how you have expanded your career and gotten into, uh, I don't know if you want to call it reality entertainment or, oh, uh, man. you know, uh, but oh, man. You, you have an extensive career in some of the, the the love and hip-hop shows in atlanta and new york and the, the the real housewives of atlanta and the potomac tell us now how did how did that get started
2: you know I, I have to give all thanks to uh god for one uh but uh i also have to give all thanks to uh nene leak's over at the Housewives, um, you know, uh, franchise, and she's very, very powerful there. Uh, she uh, actually saw me on TV and decided that I should be the therapist, uh, the family therapist, uh, for her uh, particular family unit. Which I did some of that. We did a, uh, two two special shows on that, and then kind of just went right into. The, the the general housewives of Atlanta, uh, and we became frenemies, right? She was so PO'd with me uh, that I just didn't take her side right away, and I wanted her to take a look at herself a little bit and take some responsibility. And I, I got to share this story with you sure. that um, – You know, so I'm sitting with all of the housewives and I'm doing this therapy session, you know, and this is being recorded. And so Nini gets upset. She gets up and leaves. And I say to myself right then and there, there's my career. It's over. I didn't manage this. Mm -hmm. The best thing that ever happened in my life was when Nini got up and left that therapy session (laughs) because all heck broke loose Then they got me back to talk with her again and try to make up with her. And it just was the drama. And that is the genius of Mimi Leakes. And of course her husband, Greg Leakes, who became also a very good friend and they just kept bringing me back and we're still in contact to this day. We still talk. The other person is Mona Scott Young. Mm. From love uh, and hip hop, she created that particular franchise and started having me on the different love and hip hop shows. She's a Haitian sister. Um, you know, she's doing amazing things. She's a director, a producer, was a head of Violator Records, and then we started co-hosting the Haitian Roundtable, which the, which is this very elite Haitian group, uh, part of the Haitian diaspora uh, in the New York area. And so she just kept giving me opportunity after opportunity. And then, of course, it just opened up everything, all of the true crime shows, you know, (laughs) all of the relationship shows. So in many ways, I became the go-to guy for every reality show that was out there. Now, here's the funny thing. Other psychologists, social workers and so on, when they would see me, Mm -hmm. they would look at me as if I were a piece of cow manure under their feet. You like the way I use these, (laughs) right? right? Yes, Because they would say things like, you know that you are dragging down our profession. You know, it's outrageous. You should be ashamed of yourself. Look at where you're taking psychology. You know, you are slumming it with our profession and so on. Let me tell you right now, (laughs) people in the mental health field are paying a fortune to get people to get them on those shows because they know what it does for their practice and what it does for their reputation. So, you know, now I can laugh, you know, when I think (laughs) about that and, and, and realize that again, everything is in divine order.
1: Praise God. Well, for those of us who, um, you know, uh, who, who don't, Watch as as much reality as possible. How are those shows set up behind the scenes? Uh, are they told to to cause conflict and confusion? Do they really dislike each other, or is that all part of the the the, the act?
2: Well, let me put it like this, right? You're you're asking me if uh, wrestling is real, uh, and and you <laughs> know I'm not going to comment on. It. Of course, it's real. People get hurt, right? Right. Uh, okay. But this is the way it works with reality TV the way it works these days more than anything else. Um, These are real lives, real people. Okay. And they know that in order to stay on these shows and not become a friend to the show, right, Mm -hmm. where they Mm -hmm. come on only once in a while, but to be a real cast and a regular cast member, Mm -hmm. there's got to be something interesting about you going on. You know, there's gotta be drama. There's gotta be fireworks. So in many ways, think of a spotlight that you have on you, you know, 12 hours a day. And in order to keep that spotlight on you, you have to show your best, you have to show your worst, but you've gotta be on. And I think that's a lot of what we see. If that spotlight, if that camera wasn't on you, then you would be much more calm. But because you know you are fighting to be on that show and to you know to have a reputation of you know being a, a, a you know a tough person and you know that uh, you bring the excitement. That's the way you begin to live your life. Think of it as the fight or flight response that we have, mm-hmm. but that fight and flight response is on all the time. So it's a mixed blessing. It really is a mixed blessing, uh, G. Keith, that these people can, you know, and it's not like they make a lot of money. Nini has made a lot of money, you know, and was paid a lot, one of the highest paid people. Uh, but it really is about having an opportunity to market your brand you know, and that's how they start all these other businesses. So the business is not really in what you get in a paycheck. It's how you are able to market yourself, get a a national or international brand, and then be able to, you know, gather the riches in that way. So it's a very complicated formula. It's a very intricate game. Some people have won and some people have lost you Know by addictions by losing marriages and so on. So,
1: as we like to say, actor beware. <laughs> wow, okay. So, that now, uh, so now are you on any shows, uh, in uh, currently or 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 have you taken a hiatus?
2: Um, I'm not on any shows that I can think of, uh, right now. I continue to, uh, I continue to to do a lot of the uh, news shows, a lot of the, you know, internet shows, because everything is internet, as you know, right now, TV is not what it was. I said to uh, one of the medical school classes, what have you been watching on TV lately? They said, what's a TV, (laughs) right? You know, (laughs) they don't even watch TV. They watch their phones. They watch the, you know, computer screens and, and, and so on. Um, But now my life is, you know, I, I like to say I'm not thirsty. You know, I'm not interested uh, in doing so much in the media as I once did. My life more is dedicated to my family. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm 65 years old now. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to fly all over the place and spend, you know, time away. I have very small children as well as adult children. Um, So now it really is about teaching uh, at the medical school. But also, I found, you know the industry of telepsychology to be amazing. Uh, I've teamed up with a company called My Telemedicine uh, in Texas, and. Uh, we have an incredible uh, uh, telemedicine business uh, that we're doing all over the United States. I'm also working with my Roman. If you remember Roman, you know gives uh, you know. Oh yes, a, so,
1: so that's the uh, the erection company.
2: The, for, for erectile dysfunction. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: Okay. So they've rolled out
2: something called Romind, and I'm part of that, and I'm part of the advisory board. So you know, my mission now is to bring. Uh, mental health services to as many people as possible by just clicking onto their keyboard and being on the computer, uh, getting it on the computer. And and here's the thing. It really is an extension of what I was doing on all these talk shows, because even though a lot of my colleagues put me down for being on these uh, different reality shows and talk shows and so on, it built me a practice that has withstood the ages and still does, you know, never have to advertise. You know, people know who Dr. Jeff is. Thank goodness for that. Uh, and so now it's about working with students. It's about working directly with individuals in this pandemic who really need help. That's my mission now.
1: That's because Dr. Jeff is what's hot. OK, <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> not as hot as he used to be lukewarm, <laughs> but doing OK uh, now. Okay, Don't so- cry for me, Argentina. You down. So now talk about your you, you've the you're the author of four books also.
2: Right. I'm the author of uh, several books. Uh, one one book is a reincarnation of the other. And I've contributed to many, many books. Uh, the last one, the uh, cause of autism that we were right there at uh, the Turo College of uh, Osteopathic Medicine. Um, And, you know, doing uh, more research and really getting into now in my old age, getting more into the scientific uh, research, getting into the teaching, you know, getting into um, um, uh, doing workshops uh, for many different people, you know, around uh, around the United States and around the globe. Uh, And that's what's, uh, you know, that's what's really eating up the time more than anything else.
1: So I I believe, as we were trying to think of the young lady's name before, uh, Rhea, is it Rhea Alexander? That's right, Rhea. Rhea Alexander, yeah. That's right, right. that's right.
2: No relation to the great G. Keith Alexander
1: that I know of. No, but you never know, you know, back in those days, they they separated (laughs) our families, so we don't know, you know. That's right. Uh, But uh, in any case, so now... Let's talk about what's happening in the Black community as far as mental health. Uh, Now, we do know that uh, there are some issues that have happened recently uh, on the world stage uh, in in the Olympics. Uh, Simone Biles, uh, also um, uh, Naomi Osaka. And also, uh, was it Shikara Richardson? Richardson? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me have your thoughts on on the three of uh, those uh, talented young ladies. Well, uh,
2: they have differing stories, of course, uh, with Miss Richardson. Uh, what happened with her was, yes, she she had a mental health challenge uh, when she found out that her mother uh, had died, someone she was estranged from for quite some time. But of course, that was still her mom. Uh, and she found that out during uh, an interview with a reporter. And, you know, she says that, uh, you know, she had a she 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 had a, a very Quick and powerful nervous breakdown, and she turned to a self-medication of marijuana, uh, and of course that uh, disqualified her, you know, from uh, competing for the Olympics, and was not chosen to go to the Olympics. Uh, And you know, I think a lot of people, G. Keith, really felt that maybe they were a little bit too tough on her. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know what? Here's what I admire about her. She said, even though um, I felt it was a little bit unfair the way that I was treated. I take full responsibility. I'm not trying to cop out. I did it. I'm guilty. I will pay the price. I've learned the lesson of my life and I will never do this again. But what it did for the rest of us was showed us that these superstars, right? Um, Shikari, uh, Naomi, uh, Osaka, Simone Biles, these are real people who have real issues like all of us do. And they have 10 times the stress that most of us do because they're on the world stage. And so now more than anything else, and what we're seeing with, um, with uh, Simone and uh, uh, Naomi uh, is that they are putting their mental health ahead of the money. They are saying, you know what, I'm not feeling this. I'm having a, a mental health challenge. I've got to take a break. If I'm not winning, it's not worth it for me to continue moving in this way. I've got to retreat. I've got to take care of myself. And quite often what we've seen, G. Keith, uh, with athletes, elite athletes, they take care of them. They feed them. They make sure they get the money. Uh, Not so much with college football. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a whole other issue, of course. But, you know, they they make sure uh, that, you know, they have the best physical uh, conditioning there is but they're not getting enough from the sports psychologist. They're not getting enough as far as their mental health, because we know that there is a connection between body, mind and spirit. And if any of those components uh, are not working, then it affects the others, right? So you go from working on 12 cylinders down to four and that doesn't work with professional sports. You know, um, a lot of people gave um, uh, Simone Biles a very hard time. Um, they sent her, you know, not very kind words. Um, people, um, were, uh, elected officials, uh, had said very unkind things about her and so on, but she made it very clear, you know, I'm feeling a certain way physically. I don't feel well, psychologically it's affecting me physically and I need to step back. And I think everyone needs to respect that, but what they're not talking about, um, These women, the intersectionality of being a woman treated as a second or third class citizen in this American society, the fact that they have an incredible amount of stress, the intersectionality of not being just a woman, but a black woman. And there are other, um, you know, uh, uh, factors that they go through, uh, which, you know, I think we really need to look at. But with Simone Biles this is a woman who tells us we saw it and we saw it on 60 Minutes. She was um, emotionally abused by her early coaches. She was physically uh, abused by sexually abused by the team doctor. Her mother um, was on um drugs for a very long time. And thank goodness she's doing better now. But that was another stressor in her life. Her brother was accused of murder. He was found not guilty recently, uh, which is my understanding. But all of these things, and then the stress of being the greatest athlete for now on the face of the planet, all of those things would make anyone super stressed out. And so we've got to understand if someone says, hey, I gotta take care of this. I need my checkup from the neck up and I need time. I need time to get myself together. You've gotta respect that. And she's a role model. Shikari Richardson is a role model. Naomi Osaka is a role model with regard to not only being an elite athlete, but an intelligent one who tries to take care of their mental health and talks about it, smashing that stigma for the African-American community, but smashing that stigma for all of America and the world.
1: Dr. Jeff Gardier, that's why we uh, hold you in such high esteem, because you have a way of, of getting to the essence of what the uh, uh, problem is, and and many times we see you on uh, HLN and CNN and MSNBC and the the Fox Business News and all these other stations uh, getting to the solution uh, of 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 the issue as well. That's amazing. So, you hold <laughs> me in
2: high high esteem like that, G. Keith. It's I probably- certainly. Do. It's probably because you're not
1: married to me. You should be what my wife has to say about this. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, that's a good thing. So, all right, we're getting ready to uh, take a, a short break right now. I want to remind everyone that we're here with Dr. Jeff Gardia, American psychologist. And I also want to remind you again to make sure you go to HarlemAmerica.com because Harlem Week is coming up August 6th through the 15th. And those of you who come to New York, especially for Harlem Week, uh, we want you to be able to know exactly what the events are that are, are are going to take place. So go to harlemamerica.com and you'll find a lot of our uh, podcasts from some of our earlier guests on the What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Right now, I've got a little frog in my throat. It's been there all morning. But uh, in the meantime, in between time, Don't go away. We'll be right back with my friend, Dr. Jeff.
3: The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. Harlem America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero.
0: Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal, and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with the Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today.
3: You're listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out, check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America.
0: You're listening to what's hot Harlem America with G Keith Alexander to reach our show live today, call into one eight, six, six, four, seven, two, five, seven, eight, eight. That's one eight, six, six, four, seven, two, five, seven, eight, eight. Also you can send an email to G Keith Alexander at Harlem Now back to the show.
1: Okay. So, uh, welcome back. We're here with uh, Dr. Jeff Gardere who used to be the host of, uh, was it dad? Dad's camp dad camp. Dad, dad camp on VH1. Yeah. Tell oh, us. you had to br- you had to bring that
2: up, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Tell us a little bit about.
2: Oh, Dad's that's camp. a That's a good story. Right. All so right. Uh, I'm in the gym working out. As you know, I work out seven days a week. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm addicted to exercise. And um, so I get a phone call uh, after years of auditioning for all these different, you know, shows and so on. I get a phone call and the person says, hey, you know, we'd like to talk to you about this new show we have called Dad Camp on VH1. Uh, We've seen you on all these different shows and we'd love for you, you know, to come out and do the show. I said, I'd love to come out and audition. When, you know, where? And they said, Los Angeles. They said, but by the way, you're not auditioning. You've got the gig. Um, You know, put us in contact with your uh, entertainment lawyer. We'll sign a contract and get you out here, you know, to cut a demo and uh, just go ahead. And uh, and so we did. It was fantastic. Uh, VH1 picked it up. Um, We did the show and it was a bomb. And I mean, a bomb, a stinking bomb, right? Um, And the people on it were absolutely fabulous. The producers were fabulous, but the formula just didn't work. It just didn't work. And the timing wasn't good. This was a time when VH1 decided, hey, you know what? Instead of doing all this trash TV that they were doing, if you remember, remember. we want to be a more humane and loving and instructive kind of show. So we're going to put together this show called Dad Camp and help all these single fathers and not exploit people of color and blah, 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 blah. Let's get this guy, Dr. Jeff Gardier, He's so healing. In the middle of of the production, VH1 changes the programming and says, ah! (laughs) Let's go back to the trash TV. And so the show wasn't picked up because it was a feel good show. It was about helping people with parenting. A bomb for them. You know, it just didn't bring the excitement. But you know that old saying, it is better to have loved than never to have loved at all. And so, you know, that was my show. I did it. I enjoyed it. And there've been other shows since then. And actually some shows that I can't talk about some things that are happening in the future, working with some really good people uh, to bring in more content. Um, And so we keep our fingers crossed for that. Uh, But the bottom line was that that one was one that didn't make it. And Gee, Keith, you know this, you know, we see all the success that people have, but they don't talk enough about the things that don't work. But at the end of the day, those are experiences that are valuable experiences that take us where we need to go and prepare us for the next chapter.
1: That's right. There you go. Exactly. So, Jeff, speaking of the next chapter, you have become a lobbyist of Look at
2: me, mom. I'm a lobbyist at 65. Holy (laughs) smoke. I think that's the 18th job I've had.
1: Well, hey, and you are doing it for a very good cause. You are working with CompassionAndChoices.org. Tell us about this. Uh,
2: An incredible organization made up of these these professionals who really do believe in bringing uh, the message that we must have advanced directives in our lives. It's important. And what do we mean by advanced directives? Well, when you have that living will, you know, Mm -hmm. you talk about, well, if something happens And I am no longer in charge of my body, or I need to be intubated, you know, to have these directives as to what happens to you, who is your proxy, who will take care of you, who will make medical decisions for you? uh, Do you want to be intubated or not? Um, If it goes to the point of where, for example, you can no longer give direction as to uh, the kind of care that you need, uh, what kind of care will be there for you. Um, Is hospice something that you want to look at? Uh, Right down to medical aid in dying, uh, which is not physician assisted suicide, but if you are in a state that does allow medical aid in dying, you have no more than six months to live. That's been certified by two physicians. You are in just horrific pain, medication no longer working for you. Uh, There's absolutely no hope that you're going to go further, that if you are mentally competent, again, established by two physicians and or psychologists involved, that you can actually get a prescription if you need it, if you've lost all quality of life uh, and be able to take, you must be able to take the medication yourself, no one can give it to you. You must be able to take it yourself. You must be sound of uh, mind. Uh, and you can um, be able to transition in a peaceful manner. Uh, so those are some of the things that are out there uh, that they are working on, getting people information as to the importance of hospice, um, much more information as to end of life care treatments, uh, the importance of uh, you know making sure you know that your family is involved in your care and so on. So it's 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 a tremendous place. Uh, to be in right now in the space that I'm in, given that I am now in my mid 60s and have put together my living will. And I know what I want for myself as far as the quality of life, because I can see the light at the end of the tunnel more than uh, I did when I was in my 30s. Don't get me started. But it really is about, you know, quality of life from cradle to grave. So a lot uh, of people don't think about death and you should. Because it's coming one
1: day. That's true. That's true. So, so this job as a lobbyist then takes you back to your wonderful Washington, D.C., Uh, Most of the work is
2: done in New York state because we're looking to get legislation passed in New York. You know, we have medical aid in dying uh, in New Jersey and uh, 11 other uh, jurisdictions and states or even 12. New Mexico was the latest one. Um, And so, but it's not just about medical aid in dying. It really is about advanced directives, living wills, helping people who have Alzheimer's, uh, or if they develop alzheimers how they can get the best quality work so it's really an umbrella of taking care of people you know who are now facing you know the end of life in that part of where they are but we talk to people you know very early on in their lives about putting everything in place with regard to you know end of life care possible hospice you know, your, your proxies and so on. Uh, but a lot of my work is working with, uh, as, as a um, uh, lobbyist is working with Black clergy here in New York to get the word out on advanced directives, to work with Black people who don't know much about hospice care, who don't know about palliative care, who don't get that information, who die in ICUs uh, instead of getting stepped down You know, medical care who are continually treated and treated and treated to the point of where treatment doesn't help anymore, but they're still, you know, getting very painful treatment and they don't realize that they don't have to do that, that they can then go uh, into hospice or that they could get hospice care at home. So, this is another health disparity for people of color and Latinx. We do not use. Uh, hospice care, advanced directives, all of the other things that we should know about. So part of my job is educating um, our uh, New York population of, um, of people of color, but as well working with the clergy so the clergy can work with their people, you know, with their parishioners, with their worshipers you know, to know about the importance of good end of life care, quality care.
1: I am so glad that, uh, that you're here to discuss this because uh, Harlem America is the total black experience in entertainment, empowerment, and health and wellness. And, and this is our health and wellness segment uh, where you have uh, laid it out for us what we should really be considering uh, for our end of life uh, uh, care. Uh, I, I, I see from you, uh, Dr. Jeff, a new product or service, uh, Dr. Jeff's end-of-life kit. You know, where, where where you have all the forms and all the, and some videos. Uh, well, that's, uh, a, yeah, but
2: that's actually what, what Compassion and Choices, uh, that's what they do. They give right. all of this really incredible information. If you were to develop Alzheimer's, you know, how do you get the proper care? You know, how do you fill out uh, a living will? Um, how do you get a proxy? What should you do as far as... Uh, Financial planning. So, you know, your 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 family uh, are not left in a situation of where, you know, things go to the state and then they have to fight to get the resources back. So it really is about um, really comprehensive um, um, care around end of life. Because that's, That's a very special time, but it needs to be a time of dignity, too.
1: So plug the website one more time for our our viewers. It's it's
2: CompassionAndChoices.org. Go there and you'll find so much about kits to help you as far as establishing a living will and so on. Everything is there. It's user-friendly. And I urge you all to find out about what all your options are and what all of the uh, incredible treatment, medical treatment you can get uh, when it comes to end-of-life care.
1: So let us now... Talk about how should we address, or treat, or uh, socialize with folks who are resistant to getting vaccinations during COVID.
2: This is a big problem, right? Uh, We know that uh, we can, you know, and I know we don't have much time left, but we can cut this into a couple of different slices. You know, as a person of color uh, who works with cultural sensitivity, cultural competence, I work with our medical students, as you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in helping them understand health disparities and the mistrust that people of color have for the American uh, medical system, that where we've seen a medical apartheid, where we've seen the Tuskegee experiment, where we've seen you know many many horrors around uh, medicine. Now they're doing much much better at the Tura College of Osteopathic Medicine. We teach about racism and bias. We teach cultural sensitivity, cultural competence, serving the community. That's so important. But you know we know that there was a statistic that said roughly half before the Delta variant, very early on in the pandemic, and I think the statistics have gotten. Better that half of the people of color would not take the vaccine. Now, what that does, of course, is it go. It it. Uh, now we see more health disparities because of that. Uh, people are dying disproportionately, getting the vaccine, not getting the uh, vaccine, proportionate to having the disease, uh, the getting COVID. So that's a big problem. So they're not. Offered the vaccine as much. Now that's changed, of course. And so we must work with people of color, marginalized people, uh, convincing them to get the vaccine. And then we know what's going on politically uh, in America. Uh, there's tribalism in the politics. Uh, and there's a, uh, you know, a, uh, a death cult, if you will, with some particular politicians following a particular leader. I don't need to mention names. We all know uh, who uh, we're, we're talking about. And now finally, uh, we find that that particular pod, uh, party is telling people, yes, please get vaccinated, okay? It's not about the politics. It's not about a feeling of super, uh, superiority. You don't have to do this. People are dying. The virus continues to proliferate. Uh, now we're dealing with this uh, a Delta virus. We know that there are gonna be other uh, iterations of this virus, so people have to get vaccinated. They have to put the politics aside, the hate aside, the distrust aside. And the way I think we need to do this, G. Keith, is we need to understand what it is uh, that uh, bothers them about the vaccine, what their fears are about the vaccine, uh, and validating, uh, as much as possible, all of those fears, but approaching them with uh, kindness, approaching them with uh, empathy, approaching them with respect. But of course, as the federal government is doing in making sure that we give as many incentives as possible to take the vaccine. But here's the major, here's the major incentive, okay? Saving lives, saving lives and crushing this virus. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Put your fears, your politics aside, Get vaccinated, so we can bring America back to where it really needs to be as far as health.
1: And Dr. Jeff, we're going to have to leave it right there. This has been a, a wonderful uh, opportunity to sit with my friend and 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 discuss your life and uh, lifestyle and your commitment to uh, mental health. I really appreciate you taking the time. We've got less than a minute. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say in three words? Thank you, G. Keith.
2: <laughs> Put G and Keith together. That's three all right.
1: Words. Well, thank you so very, very much, Dr. Jeff Gardier on What's Hot? Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Have a great day and a better one tomorrow. Don't judge your brother or sister too harshly until you walk a mile in his or her shoes. And uh, I'll see you next week on Harlem America Digital Network.
3: Bye. Take that,
0: take that. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening.
3: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program.